welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six movies that are all based on a single theme. Then on each episode, we explore the people in front of and behind the camera to try to make sense out of how and why each movie was made. But that's not all. After that, we are going to give you a detailed review of the entire movie to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with Mr. Bo Ransdell, a really smart and funny guy that I've known for my entire life, we are presenting this season's theme, Game On, where we are taking on six movies all inspired by video games. This is Season 7, Episode 2, featuring the zombie-filled horror movie, House of the Dead, a movie that I don't remember at all, based on a video game I barely remember even existing. And when I say I don't remember the movie House of the Dead, I mean that I don't remember it coming out, and I don't remember watching it even for this show. I don't really even remember the conversation Bo and I had about this movie. So this whole episode will be as new to you as it is to me. But I'll tell you what I do remember, Bo's introduction for this episode. It's smart, and it's funny. Just like Bo. So let's kick this thing into high gear as Bo introduces us to House of the Dead. Yo, I think this is going to be a really good episode. Hey, Bo, it's all you. Let's begin here. When House of the Dead, the subject of tonight's discussion, was released unto the world, it was a critical disaster. Stuart Wood of Cinema Blend said it had, quote, all the subtlety of a horny bull in a china shop and all the style of a street tramp. Roger Moore, the critic, not the James Bond, said, quote, it's a staggering failure on pretty much every level. Joe Blow wondered, how do movies like this get financed? We'll get to that, Joe Blow, don't you worry. But let's hear from the man himself, director of House of the Dead, Uwe Boll. Quote, If you'll make a movie like House of the Dead, a zombie movie, what are they expecting? Schindler's List? A zombie movie, you say? But what does that mean exactly? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! The first zombie movie is generally considered to be White Zombie, a film from 1932 in which Bela Lugosi turns Madge Bellamy into a zombie on his plantation, also staffed by zombies. But these are the voodoo style of zombies, human beings turned into mindless slaves thanks to a spell or a potion that saps them of their identity and will. There are some interesting entries in this subgenre of film, notably Jacques Tourneur's I Walked with a Zombie, which is a beautifully shot film from 1943. But it wasn't until 1968, though, that the world got its first glimpse of the modern zombie, and no aspect of entertainment would ever be the same. George A. Romero was born in 1940 in the Bronx, New York. When he was a kid, George would ride the subway into Manhattan to check out reels of film he could screen at home on his own projector, the Netflix and chill of the 1960s. He was particularly taken by a film called The Tales of Hoffman, the adaptation of an opera which was based in turn on short stories by E.T.A. Hoffman. In the piece, there are elements of science fiction and fantasy and even a touch of horror, 
The in-camera effects captured Romero's imagination, and he developed an early love for the technical craft of filmmaking. Fun side note, the other chronic checker-outer of the Tales of Hoffman was a young Martin Scorsese. It does my heart good to think of George Romero checking the movie out one week and Scorsese checking it out the next. After Romero graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, he worked as a commercial director, meaning he directed, well, commercials, as well as corporate training videos and segments for local television. Thanks to his new home in Pittsburgh, he even got to direct a segment on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where Mr. Rogers gets a tonsillectomy. Along the way, he and his business partner, a fledgling screenwriter named John Russo, formed Image 10 Productions and began working on a script originally called Monster Flick. Romero sensed the wave of exploitation in drive-in films would be a good entry point for a low-budget filmmaker, and he and Russo, mostly Russo, wrote a script in about three days. The story was based in part on the incredible novel by Richard Matheson, I Am Legend, a story in which a lone survivor of a plague is forced to live in a world where he has become a boogeyman for the New World Order. Romero said, quote, I thought I Am Legend was about revolution. I said if you're gonna do something about revolution, you should start at the beginning. So, rather than present a story in which the world has changed, Romero wanted to see the change happening on screen. What if, he proposed, the recently dead, the long dead was too expensive a makeup to pull off, decided to get up and eat the so-called normal people? What would that world look like? The stories, Romero said, are about how people respond or fail to respond to this. That's really all the zombies ever represented to me. He cast a black actor named Dwayne Jones in the lead, a minor act of revolution at a time when few black actors were cast as the lead in a film, and certainly not where the blackness of the actor wasn't the point. The character of Ben just happens to be black. He's also the most reliably logical and sensible of the group, our hero. Romero said casting him was simply because Dwayne Jones was the best actor they knew. Also, Jones rewrote much of the dialogue, making Ben a more articulate and level-headed character than the one on the page, who was kind of a dumb-dumb truck driver. There was lots of ad-libbing to go around. In a very Christopher Guest style, the actors would often discuss the purpose of a scene, Romero would roll, and sometimes magic would happen. And it did a lot on the set of Night of the Living Dead. The final title, as it turns out. The word zombie is never mentioned in the film, though. Romero opting for the term ghouls to describe his creations, but zombie became the popular term for his variety of flesh-eating corpses. When Night of the Living Dead was released, it was generally slotted in Saturday afternoon schedules, the time when low-budget science fiction movies like The Giant Spider Invasion or Teenagers from Outer Space might play. Except Night of the Living Dead was something else. It upended the apple cart. It was the tale of a group of survivors who don't survive. The final images are of our hero, Ben, being dragged from the house that has served as his refuge by men with hooks and tossed unceremoniously on a pile of burning bodies for disposal. Nobody makes it out. Not only was the ending a real downer, it also depicted scenes of a daughter murdering her own mother and brothers returning to devour their sisters. It was a flat-out assault on the very idea of normal society and resolved itself in a bleak epiphany about the casual violence of fear. Not exactly matinee fare. 
Pick 6 mascot, Roger Ebert, described what it was like to see the movie play to a packed house of kids looking for a good time. Quote, The kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and had become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. It's hard to remember what sort of effect this movie might have had on you when you were six or seven, but try to remember, at that age, kids take the events on screen seriously, and they identify fiercely with the hero. When the hero is killed, that's not an unhappy ending, but a tragic one. Nobody got out alive. It's just over. That's all. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! Variety, an important movie trade magazine to this day, stated, This horror film casts serious aspersions on the integrity and social responsibility of its Pittsburgh-based makers. Night of the Living Dead was so shocking, it was considered an act of irresponsible filmmaking to even capture such images on film. Now, unsurprisingly, this was one of the final films to escape MPAA classification, as it proved a need to inform viewers what they might be in for buying a ticket to a movie like Night of the Living Dead. It was outrageous and extreme and terrifying and subversive and amazing. Even Rex Reed said of the movie, quote, It is unthinkable for anyone seriously interested in horror movies not to see it. And it rests on many best-of-all-time movie lists for good reason. It's just a zombie movie, one might say, if one's name was Uwe Boll. But that zombie movie created a whole new rating system, spawned an undead legion of copycat movies, infiltrated the public consciousness in a way that when we think of the word zombie, we think of what Romero created in 1968. The modern zombie, whether he runs or shambles, eats brains or flesh, it all goes back to Night of the Living Dead. It is the patient zero of horror films. Uwe Boll was three years old when Night of the Living Dead was released. Given the film's worldwide success, it is unthinkable a German print of the film wouldn't have been available when he came of age, especially considering the movie quickly found its way into the public domain thanks to some poor business planning. Boll grew up in Berscheid, Germany. It was during his preteen years he fell in love with film, especially epic movies like Dr. Zhivago or Ashiro Honda's Godzilla. He attended the Film Academy Vienna, where he attained a doctorate in narrative structure in television and in literature. Technically, the director of House of the Dead is Dr. Uwe Boll. Oh boy. In his early 20s, he wrote a bunch of scripts and eventually left school when he felt the emphasis on theory was imbalanced for his desire to actually make a movie. So he did. His first film was named German Fried Movie, a very thin homage to Kentucky Fried Movie, an American comedy film that likewise featured random spoofs and sketches. With his second movie, the Uwe Boldness, the Bolitude, if you will, began to focus. For example, rather than pay lodging for his cast and crew on Barschel, a murder in Geneva, he would drive the cast and crew to Geneva, shoot for 10 hours, then drove everyone home a 500-mile trip. Stop it! 
You're ignorant. In the late 90s, Bull set his sights on American success. With a number of German films under his belt, though few that made any ripples outside his home country, or frankly inside his home country, he got a couple of low-budget gigs, including the American movies Sanctimony and Backwoods, the latter of which was kind of a cross between American Psycho and elements of M. Night Shyamalan's films, and not very good. He took a stab at something more serious with Heart of America, about a school shooting starring Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men and Handmaid's Tale well before she became famous. Around the same time, though, Gus Van Sant's Elephant was released, which was similar in theme and garnered far more attention, what with the director being Gus Van Sant and all. Van Sant, of course, was known for Goodwill Hunting and My Own Private Idaho and considered a very good filmmaker, unlike Dr. Uwe Boll. So, a bit pissed that his school shooting movie got buried by another, Boll fell into a stretch of gigs that would largely define his movie-making career. Adaptations of video game properties. Sega was in the market to license the arcade shooter House of the Dead. The game was a light gun shooter where the player was guided through the titular House of the Dead to shoot zombies and slugs and axe-throwing mutants, all thanks to the experiments of Dr. Curian. It's a silly but fun game, and it lends itself reasonably well to a movie. I mean, you have a mad scientist, monsters, and a team of specialists sent in to find out what the hell is going on, only to find themselves fighting for their lives against these creations. I could do that, I think. Hell, around here, that's just the kind of fan fiction that gets us the big bucks. Uwe Boll got tapped for the director's chair. The budget was low, but not nothing, $12 million, and that money certainly wasn't spent on the cast. Of the film stars, end quotes, only Jürgen Prochnow was a recognizable actor, and from films like Das Boot and Beverly Hills Cop 2 in the late 80s. Prochnow was given Ron Howard brother and scene stealer Clint Howard as a sidekick. You might have seen Michael Eklund in some things, he played the cameraman in this. But the rest are actors who have mostly turned up in low-budget films or bit parts in larger projects, but none you could call a real star, not that this movie helped any. The money reportedly went to the centerpiece of the film, a so-called action scene where the heroes do battle against a swarm of the undead as they try to take refuge in the House of the Dead. That sounds way better than it is. Inspired by some of the fancy camera work in The Matrix, Bull uses a 360-degree camera effect throughout this scene, which was expensive to produce thanks to the special camera and rig needed, and we'll debate how effective the use of that money might have been. This was, notably, the last film to use this particular 360-degree technique, as the camera moving so quickly around the actor could result in injury or death. The actors on set were given a lot of room to improvise, especially when the script was reportedly not great to begin with, and Uwe Boll's command of English wasn't quite sharp enough for him to coach the actors into better deliveries, resulting in some truly head-scratching lines and recitations. All reports suggest Boll isn't the worst director to work for, but he moves fast and doesn't necessarily get bogged down in the finer details of movie making. He's an idea man. When the shooting schedule for House of the Dead was compromised due to bad weather at the location, Bull just whacked some out of the script. Who could possibly notice? This was, after all, just a zombie movie. When the movie was released, it was savaged by critics. So much so, Danish theaters didn't even bother to buy prints to screen it. And keep in mind, this was, in theory, a big release. Only most theaters got the stink of this thing off their screens as quick as possible. With its $12 million budget, the movie brought in about $10 million worldwide, and yet Uwe Boll would go on to make a bunch more of these game-to-film adaptations, 
including Blood Rain about a sexy ass-kicking vampire, In the Name of the King, a dungeon siege tale, Postal, Alone in the Dark, some of them with actual actors. And yet, they all had a certain quality, a boldness to them. Inattention to detail, shoddy production, borderline incoherent editing, all hallmarks of the bold method of movie making. Most of them critical and financial disasters as well. Which reminds me of the question the fine folks at Joe Blow asked up front. How do movies like this get financed? The answer, as usual, is German tax laws. At least until 2006, when this particular loophole was closed. Before that, if a German citizen invested in a movie that lost money, the entire investment was a tax write-off. So, in fine producer fashion, investing in a Juve Bull film that was destined to do poorly meant you, as an investor, could write all of that money off. If it turned a profit, even better. No matter what, you weren't going to lose any money on it, and so Bull continued to get movies financed, knowing that his investors would never lose a dime. Bull himself seems to have no love for the video game movies he was making. He described a trip to Comic-Con, arguably the mecca for the kinds of movies he was making, appealing to young men hopped up on energy drinks who wanted to see their favorite games brought to life. And he said about these fans, quote, I was standing there looking at the people, and I was thinking, what the fuck? They're on drugs or something. Ridiculous. Stop it! ignorant. His last big play in the video game space was a lobby for the director's job on the Warcraft movie when Sam Raimi stepped down from the project. Blizzard, the makers of World of Warcraft, responded via representative Paul Sams who said, we will not sell the movie rights, not to you, especially not to you. Once the German tax loophole closed and investment was harder to gather and nobody was asking Bold to direct big movies, the director turned to the internet for funding. First, he tried to kickstart Postal 2, a sequel to the video game adaptation of Postal, which fizzled. Then he tried to make a sequel to his Rampage series of films, in this case Rampage 3, first on Indiegogo and then on Kickstarter, and neither met their initial goals. Bull unleashed a response video, now lovingly referred to as the Go Fuck Yourselves video. In it, Bull blames his audience, George Clooney, the Hollywood establishment, Robert Downey Jr., basically anyone but himself for the failure of his funding. In 2006, Bull offered a challenge to critics who had maligned him for years. Step inside the ring for 10 rounds of boxing. A few critics actually showed up, and a very silly series of exhibition fights were staged, and Bull won them all. Some complained he was too intense in the ring, but Bull fired back that they had three months to train. They didn't. It was their problem. Still, this didn't do anything to solve his money woes. And Bull's reputation was so toxic in the industry, even if the guy did make a good movie, who would have noticed? He had spent too long in the trenches churning out cinematic shit, and as it happens, you can't do that forever without the stink getting on you. For George Romero, his first big movie was just a zombie movie too, but it was so damned good, it gave him a career for life even when he was doing little more than rehashes of his earlier work, or going experimental in a way that made commercial success unlikely, to say the least. And yet, he not only created the modern zombie with Night of the Living Dead, he made the essential zombie film sequel, Dawn of the Dead. 
widely considered one of the greatest horror films ever made, and certainly one of the finest critiques of post-consumerist culture from the 70s. He upended the vampire tale with Martin, and found some mainstream success with the King collaboration Creepshow, all because of just a zombie movie. Bull, on the other hand, made just a zombie movie too. Except he didn't bother trying to make it good. In so doing, he set a tone for his whole career, one where he traced the opposite arc of Romero's path. Instead of making a movie so good he could coast on his laurels for years, he made a movie, a whole series of movies, so monumentally crappy he could never find legitimate respect in the business so long as he continued. And so, Dr. Uwe Boll stopped. Really, he stopped making movies. Not because of an online petition, though there was one to ask him to stop, please, for the love of God, stop. No, he just got tired of being Hollywood's punching bag. So he opened a restaurant called Bauhaus, and it is, ironically, the best-reviewed work of his career. Considered a great stop on a foodie tour of Vancouver, where excellent chefs prepare carefully considered meals for grateful patrons. I guess to Bull, this isn't just a restaurant. And now, boils and ghouls. It is an honor to present one of the worst-reviewed films in Pick 6 history, 2003's House of the Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! All right, everyone, welcome back to uh, episode two of season seven of Pick Six Movies. This season, of course, being game on, all about uh, video game adaptations and, and video game influenced films. And we come now to, I would say, the low point of the season. It almost has to be. <laughs> because as you heard from the introduction, it's time to talk about an Uwe Bull movie. And applying film criticism of any stripe, even the half-assed kind of criticism we do on this show, to an Uwe Boll film is like an exercise in madness. There is no, there is no real plot or structure or characters. It's like being an art critic and walking down the hallway of an elementary school and just being garbage, shit, pedestrian. Right. What were you thinking? Ugh. Look at the composition. Ugh, what a nightmare. Oh, who did this? His name is Charles. What is this? A bat? His S is backwards. I'm sure that's how he signs his name to make himself stand out. But you know what? It's pretentious. It insists upon itself. <laughs> yeah, fuck Charlie. So we're talking about uh, the House of the Dead. Oh, real, oh, sorry. Real quick. Hey, this is Chad Cooper. And uh, Bo, introduce yourself. I'm Bo Ranstell, of course. Sorry. I was so eager. I'm I'm so excited, Chad. And quite frankly, here's the other thing, is that I feel we have grown so close to our audience. Yes. It's just not necessary anymore. They they know us. We know them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a give and take. Pick six movies means never having to say you're sorry, Chad. Question for you. Is yes. this the worst movie that we've ever reviewed on this show? Yeah. I mean, and- that bar keeps getting lowered, but yes. Is it worse than It's Pat the Movie? Yes. I agree. It is. I, I was going to wait and ask you that question at the end, but it is. It's worse than It's Pat. And I cannot believe that we somehow sunk below It's Pat the movie in the start of our second year. 
yeah, boy, you know, uh, we we really know how to knock it out of the park <laughs> if the park is shit. Let's let's do this thing. Yeah, okay. Let's yeah. Let's dive into it. Um, look, I I got a couple of hometown favorites when I'm watching a movie. A zombie movie is, is a favorite of mine. Even like I've seen a lot of shitty ones. Not not a lot this shitty, but I've seen a lot of <laughs> shitty ones. I am accommodating to those movies because I'm a fan of you know the Romero films and that kind of thing, and and so I'm willing in many cases to give a pass to a film. Right, and you suffer from acute social paranoia, where you think people are constantly after you. I also think that everyone is just a, a bundle of viruses waiting to explode <laughs> into a contagion. You're Howie Mandel, just not famous. The idea of somebody shaking hands with me, Chad, you might as well just throw uh, one of them outbreak monkeys at me. I came to the conclusion that everything is essentially covered in semen and blood and urine a long time ago. All jokes, <laughs> jokey jokes aside, Chad, I really do not have germ hangups at all. And I think it's because of that. It's just at a certain age, it was like, oh, somebody dropped the donut. I was like, I'll fucking eat that thing. And then, (laughs) not since that moment, but, you know, like, I'm not afraid of, hey, somebody touched me and now I touch my face and I'm going to get, what you know, like if you shake hands with somebody and then you touch your face, supposedly that's one of the the ways you can transmit disease. Oh, okay. Not, not inappropriately, Chad. We keep it professional around here. But point being, like going back to the original point about like, I'll I'll give these movies a bit of a pass. But then this movie, the way it starts, Chad, let me give you the opening narration because I feel like this is important. No, it's not. But go ahead. (laughs) It's important to set a tone of this is how bad the dialogue is going to be in this film. (laughs) Where Zach from Saved by the Bell is sitting on a log and he says... Is that who it is? No. Or, or you just no, that, I just called him that. <laughs> I didn't do any of my homework at all. Yeah, you don't have to. Nobody was nobody in this movie. The, like, the people you recognize are the only people worth recognizing. Uh, he says, It was a nightmare. So many dead people. So many victims. It all started a few days ago when I came here for a rave. <laughs> And now all that remains is the rotten smell of death. This whole thing looks like a high school film class final project. When you heard in the introduction that this movie cost $12 million to make, did that not blow your damn mind? Like, where did that money go? Because it ain't on the screen. I guess it's on that really fancy camera you talked about. Because everything in this is a notch below the preamble to porno fucking. Sorry, I was drinking water when you said that, and I almost just borked all over my keyboard, which would not have been cool. (laughs) We then cut to this techno rave where there's music blaring, and there's this weird metallic color filter over the images of, I guess it's the video game for the opening credits? It's just like they they ran it through MS Paint, and we're like, hey, this kind of looks cool right and and then like yeah shitty prodigy music plays like talk about setting a tone boy that lets you know right away that didn't nobody care about this movie no like those opening credits took about i don't know what two and a half hours to make they lasted two and a half minutes which was way too long it didn't add anything to anything It, it was especially for a movie that doesn't have the decency just to throw a the end on the tail end of it and be done that it has its own set of credits and songs and all kinds of shit for the upfront credits to be this long too you can go right to hell 
So we're at this rave, and are we gonna? So we're gonna call him Zach from Saved by the Bell, right? He's just yakking on, and he's talking about this rave, which is sponsored by Sega. Yes. Why would Sega be sponsoring a rave? I understand why they're sponsoring the rave, but why would Sega be sponsoring a rave on a remote island? Those were the heady days of video games, Shad. The Super Nintendo v Sega days. Everybody was doing cocaine and making Crash Bandicoots. We did see a bunch of characters and they're all drinking and partying. And it doesn't look like a rave on a private island. It looks no. like a bunch of Caucasians trying to throw a quinceañera. <laughs> it looks like the shittiest backyard barbecue you ever went to. It is. It's terrible. There's some guy in this puka shell necklace and he's making out with his beer guzzling gal pal who's wearing this pink shirt. Anyone who wears a puka shell necklace in my book is immediately a douchebag. Yes. And and if you compare that with a tribal tattoo on the bicep, mm-hmm. you got yourself a real shithead on your hands. Have you ever worn a puka shell necklace? No, not once. Fedora? Yes. Sunglasses at night? No. Sunglasses indoors? Yes. Reverse sunglasses on the back of your head over your ears? No. Spray tan? No. Baggy jeans that show your boxers? No. Popped up shirt collar? Yes. A v-neck in public? No. Tank top in public? As a child, sure. Anything from Ed Hardy? No. Let me add this up. Whoa, it's close. You're not a douchebag. Boy, I'll tell you, there are some ex-girlfriends who are going to be really surprised (laughs) to hear that. think they may differ zach from saved by the the bell also manages to introduce our our team of characters speaking of shitheads and douchebags so (laughs) we have two dudes uh greg and simon are their names oh christ i'm not gonna keep any all right but simon is the tom cruise guy let's call it can we call him cruise yes cruise and the narrator zach from saved by the bell immediately is like look y'all simon's real stupid he's he's pretty but he's stupid and then Cynthia... Wait, sh- is Simon the one with the cross eyes? <laughs> no, no, no. That's Simon is the one that Karma is, oh, is into. Shit. No, we'll, we'll get into it. But Simon is the one that they describe as having a risky business body and a Rain Man brain by somebody. That's that's Simon. That's Cruz. And okay, okay, all right. So 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 Cruz is the underwear model. Yes, the, one of have- the most famous underwear models in the in the country. Correct. Jesus Christ! All right. And all right, so listeners, Cruz is our underwear model. Yes, we have cross eyes. Yes, we have redhead, and then and then we have the the black woman. Right. Cynthia is the blonde. <laughs> yes. And All then right. Karma is the black one and, and who the who our narrator says she thought she was Foxy Brown. And it's like the fuck? Pro- the problem with this whole movie is that no one calls each other by their names. No one ever reinforces who is who. You're just identifying people based on physical characteristics. It's sloppy, stupid, lazy writing. You're just like, oh, there's the blonde-headed chick. There's the cross-eyed guy. There's the red-headed lady. There's the black chick. There's the, the underwear guy. It's just shit. But my favorite description in all of this mix is he says Alicia, who is his ex, she's she's Jiggles is how I think of her. Is that the redhead? We got to keep this straight. It's so confusing. She is the redhead, the one that's got the lace up top. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So he says that she broke up with him to fence, 
without elaborating. So I assumed from there he meant swords and not nosy neighbor deterrence. And he says they all got invitations to go to this rave, and but they missed from Sega. <laughs> yeah, what what assumes they were the top uh, Sonic the Hedgehog players in the country, kind of like the last Starfighter. And it was like, you know, you can now come to this special Sega rave. And look, we will do our best to narrow this down and filter out who's who. But all of these actors and actresses are in their 30s pretending to be in their 20s. They're way too old for the roles that they're playing. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. And just to get us on their side early on, our narrator, Zach from Saved by the Bell, says they missed the boat. Like, they just fucked up. They didn't make it on time. And the audience has realized that they missed the boat for the rave about 30 seconds before when they showed up and they said, hey, where's the boat? And then the narrator chimes in, the boat was gone. (laughs) They'd missed it. If only they'd gone home. And it's like, but they didn't. Instead, they went to find Clint Howard. Yeah, but if they had gone home... The narrator wouldn't have survived to the end to narrate the movie. They needed all these people to work together to make the narrator around to tell the tale. Right. And But he knew something was up because when we see him and his buddy, the, his cameraman pal, at the, at the rave. You mean not Ethan Hawke? Not Ethan Hawke. Although he does have that shitty... Like reality bites, Ethan ba- uh, Ethan Hawk facial hair. Mm-hmm. Um, when we see uh, Zach from Saved by the Bell there, and he's still narrating, he says there was something nibbling at the back of my subconscious, which I don't think is a saying, Chad. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's right. I think you, something can nibble at the back of your head, right? Nothing about this movie makes sense. Let's, right. you know what? Let's just. Put our foot on the gas. Let's get through this plot because we could sit here and pick nits all day long. It would just be a waste of time, even more so than this show already is. Right. And especially when we've got a Clint Howard right around the corner for everybody. Let's deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. So our partiers, our would-be partiers, uh, are looking for a boat to charter to take them to Rave Island. And out comes Clint Howard. (laughs) <laughs> and like a Gorton's Fisherman slicker and a, a hook in one hand. I know what you did last summer came out in 97. You uh-huh. know, so we're five, six years ahead of time. And then the sequel came out the year later. This is so on the nose of dressing him up in a fisherman's outfit with a hook hand. It Part of me was like, was the second choice putting him in a hockey mask with a machete? And they're like, no, no, no. What are you doing? I've got this bloody butcher's apron and a chainsaw. Please. Will you just, will you just stop it? Well, what about if we, you know, stitch together some humans? You you just quit it. What about a bunch of pins in his head? How about that? Gloves with knives? Hmm. (laughs) Look, again, it's Uwe Boll. He is going to... (laughs) Borrow liberally. We'll get to the jaw scene in a minute. Which one? There's like 15. And, oh, Jesus Christ, this movie. Clint Howard comes out and is like, hey, what are you doing here? (laughs) That's the best Clint Howard I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I have my talents, Chad. I am not without. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Ransdell, I see you're applying for a job. All right, lots of experience. Clint Howard impersonation. Welcome yeah. aboard, Mr. Ransdell. <laughs> right. like, look, we, we're we all full up. 
Really? What if I ask you like this? Wow, that is a good Clint Howard. We could really use that around here. (laughs) (laughs) We've got somebody who does an excellent Ron Howard. And if we could just get you guys together, I work alone. That's the Clint Howard saga at my last job. Coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> so, uh, Clint Howard uh, is like, Hey, you can't charter this. This ain't the Pacific Princess. Then it's Simon. Which, who- hold, hold on. The Pacific Princess was the name of the cruise ship on the TV show The Love Boat, which was on TV in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And then, he, and then he's like, Hey, why don't you go check the Yellow Pages to find another charter boat? It's like Yellow Pages? <laughs> uh-huh. Like Love Boat references? <laughs> what are we doing? Also, I got a bone to pick. Uh, I, again, it's hard to nitpick this script for uh, for being so stupid. But they keep putting Simon in a position where he is in charge of negotiations. Simon's our underwear mom. Right. The cruise okay. of our, 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 our Tom Cruise character. And then they bitch about him fucking it up, even though every character is like, fucking Cruz is stupid as shit. Why do we even keep him around? Well, because he's got the money. He's got that that big, big underwear money. Right. I'll tell you what. We need someone sophisticated and manipulative to get us a charter to Rave Island. Who among us would best be equipped for this? Is that cross eyes? No. What about the stupidest one of us? Oh, the Ding Dong Blonde? Yeah. No, better yet, a dude. Uh, she won't get taken seriously in negotiations. Who am I missing? Hmm. Who the hell does it? it? I thought it was Simon Cruz. It is. No, it totally is him. But as soon as he steps up and they're like, even even Clint Howard is like, say, what are you, stupid? <laughs> and they, they, your Clint Howard is almost your Ren Hoek. <laughs> it kind of is. And then they, because he's kind of doing that voice too. <laughs> Like, he's doing a voice in this movie. When he asks if Simon's stupid, they cut over to Cross Eyes, who just kind of nods like, yep, what are you going to do? It's like, hey, why don't you step in instead of letting the dummy do the business deals? Now, again, we got Simon Cruz, who's an underwear model. We've got Cross Eyes, the other male friend. His girlfriend, the blonde. We have the redhead, and then we have the black chick. Yes. And again, I'm not reducing these characters to single physical characteristics or skin color or, you know, ice cro- eyes crossedness. It's just that the movie does such a horrible job of explaining their names or giving them anything of a backstory to make them a worthwhile character. They are paper dolls that are more appropriate in the hands of a six-year-old little girl playing in, in you know, with her dollhouse than they are in a major motion picture. Yeah, you're going to get a lot more backstory from that tea party than you are from this movie. There's no and, without a doubt. Like, like this is the mommy and this is the daddy, and they love each other, and this is their baby, and he works in a factory and she is a teacher in a school whoa whoa baby- whoa hey 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 we're making house of the dead here all right it ain't death of a salesman who cares where who works or what their dreams or motivations are that's for your fruitier movies your your kramer versus kramers we're doing something that's more aligned with full house or your Goma piles. Or maybe your, you know, videos of how not to get hurt at work. 
Here's something for you to follow that I used as the foundation for this plot. It's a spy versus spy comic. (laughs) See how in the end he got hit with a pie, but earlier he thought it was going to be a flower pot. Very clever. Out comes, uh, in the midst of these negotiations, uh, Jürgen Prochnow, who is the captain. Captain Kurt, as it so happens, because... Really? That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing. Captain Kurt. His name is Captain Kirk. Let, let me ask you a question, Bo. Uh-huh. Here comes a bit. What would be a more distracting name for this character over Captain Kirk? Okay? Mm-hmm. More distracting or not? Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> oh, more... Di- mm, yeah, more distracting because... God damn, that moose was lovable, Chad. You're going Kangaroo? Yes, Kangaroo's more Captain distracting. C- Captain Crunch? Less. Captain Chaos? Oh, far less. Captain America? More distracting. Captain Morgan? Less. Captain Malcolm Reynolds, that one's just for you. Thank you very much. It would be more distracting. Also, let me just say, Chad, while we're on the subject. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. Captain Hook. Uh, I think it's a tie. I think that's a trick. Captain Caveman. More distracting. Captain Jenks. Baba Booey, Baba Booey. <laughs> penis. That one's for Wendy. <laughs> All right, that less. Captain Jack Sparrow. Less. Captain and Tennille. Less. Oh, Captain, my Captain. More. Captain John Miller, who I famously mistaken his last words to be earnest and not earn this in Saving Private Ryan. Oh, uh, more distracting. Captain Ahab. Less. Captain Quint. More. Captain Ron. More. Captain Jonas Grumby, a.k.a. the skipper from Gilligan's Island. Fun fact, that was his real name. Uh, less, only because I didn't know that, and I would have I given this movie credit for being kind of clever. Captain Picard. Uh, more distracting. Captain Sisko. Less distracting. Captain Janeway. Oh, far less. I mean, fuck Voyager, right? Am I right, people? Captain Marco Ramos, commander of the Red October. Oh, once again, we play a dangerous game, Chad. Uh, less. Captain Planet. More. Captain Nemo. Less. Captain Phillips. Less. I'm the Captain Meow. That one's for Jonas. <laughs> Captain Ahab. Jonas shouldn't be listening to this. Uh, he shouldn't, but he did, did you say Ahab? Captain That's- Ahab. That was the second Ahab. I, I still think it's less distracting. Captain Steve Zizou. Low. Less distracting, but welcome. And lastly, Captain Steubing, the captain of the love boat. Less distracting than Captain Kirk. It all comes full circle. That was how they tied back in the love boat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you just mentioned Firefly, and then my head's there. For the next half hours, I'm thinking about how good Out of Gas is as an episode. <laughs> so our, our Captain Kirk comes out and... Arg, I won't be sailing to that island for any price. That's Isla de la Muerte. And then Clint Howard says, You know what that means? That means Island of the Dead. <laughs> God damn, that's a good Clint Howard. <laughs> I told you, man. They, like that's what gets the ladies. <laughs> so then Clint Howard says, "That's Mexican for death." And when this movie was made, that was a joke. Now it's about how I don't know what a third of the United States refers to any South American language or dialect. It's Mexican, right? Yeah, yeah this movie is idiocracy-like, and it's. <laughs> prophetic qualities but no just because this movie can't take two seconds to not be insufferable (laughs) cross eyes as as captain kirk walks by says oh here comes some kind of u-boat commander right am i right everybody (laughs) it's like yeah we all saw dust boot (laughs) it's a movie that's a billion times better than this one and don't make me think about how far 
<laughs> Jurgen Proch now has fallen that he has to be in this piece of shit <laughs> when he was in one of the greatest films of all time. Captain Kirk, or Jurgen Proch now, should have just punched that kid in the face as soon as he said it. <laughs> Knocked his eyes straight. Right. <laughs> right, that's how it works. Like when I remember Chad that time, if you'll recall in grade school, when I had that coconut fall on my head and I right. went cross-eyed uh-huh, and forgot who you were. <laughs> right. For a while, I thought I was a 50s crooner <laughs> named Johnny Smooth. And then you guys dropped another coconut on my head. Right. And then I was myself again. Uh I still don't know if that was the right choice. I miss Johnny Smooth all the time. Captain Kirk was like, I'm not going to that island for any price. There's not enough money in Davy Jones's locker. That would get me to that godforsaken island. Ooh, $1,000? Time to set sail. Doot, doot. I also like, even before he uh, he asked for the $1,000, he says, well, where is it? <laughs> and like that's what leads to the Island of the Dead conversation. It's like, why are you asking those questions if you ain't going in the first place, <laughs> all you're doing is telling them that you can be had and you're a shitty negotiator, Captain Kirk. This bunch of mid 30s to early 40s actresses and actors, all for wishing that they were still 20 years old, they all just pile on to the, the, the ship. And then Clint Howard's like, I'm not going to go to Isla de la Merite. And then Captain Kirk's like, shut up, Clint Howard. You know, we got a thousand dollars. Pipe down and enjoy the ride. Yeah, but how much of that am I going to get? Not a penny. And then these two cops show up yelling about how this is the second Friday of the month and they're going to do a standard inspection. Captain Kirk and his crew of one and this group of almost middle-aged adults all just like hop on the boat and they're like, you know what? See you later. Yoink. And they're gone. It's like, it's a situation where they're very slowly getting away. You know, (laughs) like if the, the cops in question or whatever, the dock inspector, I guess, who the fuck knows? And by the way, just to point out how hilarious the ADR is as you see these characters run towards a boat and hear very clearly hey there stop Captain Kirk uh, it, it's uh, it's a very minor technical detail but it's one of the things I delight in when watching a bad movie where it's like boy you weren't even even trying to mix the sound on this at all they very slowly get away and then there's some business with Simon Cruz and, and Captain Kirk on the bridge about her eating humble pie or something and how she yeah. wanted him to start working for the government. And I was like, this is one of those Stephen King tangents where you find out that the guy Jack Torrance is buying Thin Mints from went to college with George Wint and has a dead body in his bathtub dressed like Garfield the cat. Right. And it, it like this is the closest we get to characterization in this movie. And you kind of see why they stopped. Kirk tells uh, Simon Cruz, he's like, Arg, I would have taken you for free. I've got history with her. That lady cop back on the dock, she still gets wet over old Captain Kirk. And you're just like, this is gross. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I'm kind of fine with that from a pirate, you know, (laughs) which I assume is what he is. You know, all evidence. We then cut back to Isla de la Muerte and that puka shell necklace guy we saw earlier and his beer guzzling gal pal in the pink shirt. Well, these two decide to go swimming and she just takes off all of her clothes and she takes off her shirt and then she she throws her flip phone onto the shore because it's 2003. And then this drunk gal pal, she takes off her pants, but she leaves on her thong underwear because after all, Bo, she's a lady. <laughs> right. And, and this is kind of for the kids, Chad. 
puka shells refuses to get in the water because it's too cold right. which will what make his dick shrink up all teeny like he is after all a douchebag but i like the fact that they just ripped this scene off from jaws you know from the opening of of that film only instead of i'm too drunk to go swimming and passing out on the beach he's just like it's cold I'm going to just be on the on the beach here with my blanket. <laughs> when you get done in that cold water, you come on out. We'll have ourselves a little jibber jaw. We cut back to Captain Kirk's boat. And here we kind of meet this group of 30 to 40 something people all pretending to be in their 20s. I don't want to describe all of these people and ignore their names. But I again, I don't know their names. In this group, there is this middle-aged blonde haired woman who is wearing a blue sweater she is the girlfriend of the cross-eyed guy within two minutes of sailing on this fishing boat across calm smooth lake waters the cross-eyed guy violently vomits Mm -hmm. on this blonde haired middle-aged girlfriend because he's seasick cross-eyed guy sprays vomit all over her chest, and let's be more specific, her exposed cleavage. Puke goes in this woman's mouth. It goes in her hair. It goes everywhere. Mm -hmm. I I would like to read my note here. Simon offers Greg a beer, and he pukes on Cynthia. I've lost all will to live. (laughs) These people are on this disgusting fishing boat, which has stacked up traps and unnecessary steam being piped in all over the place for cinematic atmosphere. And they're roaring engines. So what does this blonde haired middle-aged woman in a blue sweater covered in vomit do? Well, she does what anyone would do. She goes down into the hull and she takes off her clothes to clean herself. (laughs) Yeah, but she's not alone, Chad, because right around the corner. Hey, are you getting naked? (laughs) <laughs> I've got something for you, and it's not my penis this time. And what he gives so her, gross. And what he gives her instead is a crucifix, and he says, "This will protect you from harm." And she just immediately is like, "Fuck this thing," and just tosses it. Like it does not play a part in the movie. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just her being a jerk to him. Yeah, but it doesn't play a part. There's not there's not a moment later on that's like, oh, if she had had a cross, she would have been able to fend off these what vampires. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it don't mean it nothing. doesn't make any sense. Right. Chad, one thing that we're skipping over for the sake of, you know, coherence and something this movie knows nothing about is in between all these scenes on the boat, we are getting the beach scene with the couple cut into this. Mm-hmm. Puka shells and drunk gal pal. Right, where the drunk gal is just going out swimming, and then a bunch of bubbles rise beneath her, and then nothing happens, and she just swims back to shore, and then we cut back to the boat. And we just didn't chop it up like that, because it's incredibly hard to keep up with that way. Just like it is when you're watching this stupid movie. <laughs> where when, when our girl gets, our drunk gal from the beach gets back uh, to, to said beach, She gets dressed finally, and we see that she's being followed by something uh, in the woods. Like, someone's kind of creeping around trees and whatnot, being all sneaky. She ends up finding a cemetery with a church in the clearing. And immediately, she decides, hey, I'll explore this and look for my friend Matt, the drunk guy what didn't like the cold water. And she does, in <laughs> fact, find her pal, except he's laying some on, on some kind of table. And when she finds him, she's like, oh, my God, Matt. And then a hand comes out of his belly. Mm-hmm. And then monsters grab her and she screams. And then to let you know that we've ended the scene, 
you get a little clip from the video game. Right. That's just like, video game. And then that's it. This whole scene with puka shells and drunk gal pal, that should have happened at the beginning of the movie. It should have been the setup of the film. Then we go to our group of middle-aged dum-dums pretending to be 20 years old. That's that's how this should have been set up. But I guess that's what Jaws did. And they didn't want to really, really, really rip them off. They just wanted to really, really rip them off. Well, all right. That begs the question then, Chad. If you were making this movie and you were... Cr- I wouldn't be. <laughs> but let's presume for a second you weren't. And you're creatively bankrupt. You have nothing. You got no ideas for how to make this movie. Right. All you know is there's going to be an island... And there's going to be some zombies. And then you come up with the genius idea to steal the scene from another movie that was way better. (laughs) Wouldn't it be better just to be a shameless ripoff of that whole movie? Because at least it, it would be shameless. It would be craven. But it would still be kind of an okay movie because that plot works. I think what you're describing is Mac and me. Right. Yes, you're right. But, and is Mac and Me better? Yes. <laughs> yes. Than this? Yes. yes you're right. Is. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it has a beginning and a middle and an end. This just has stuff. <laughs> Speaking of stuff, there's another bit, like, we get we keep getting shots interspersed with the stuff on the boat and the stuff with this couple on the beach. There have also been these inserts of the, bo- uh, uh, like, just flyover shots, like drone shots of a boat. That is not, uh, you know, Clint Howard's boat. I guess it's really Captain Kirk's boat, but, you know. Right. I know which side my bread's buttered on. These uh, overhead shots of this boat that is not our, our boat and ADR of our dock lady saying, stay back a little bit. We're going to see where Kirk goes. It's the female cop and her deputy on their boat following him because, after all, it is the second Friday of the month and she has to inspect his boat for who knows what reason. Right. She has abandoned her boat. Her post completely. I assume there are no other boats to inspect. No. And she has just decided, like, uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane style, she Mm -hmm. is just going to get her the Duke boys. (laughs) In this case, Captain Kirk. Let's cut to two people having sex on the island who then get killed by these sand people or zombies or monsters or robots. I don't know what's going on in this movie, but some other people get killed. Yep. And then the boat shows up. Our boat shows up at the island. Mm-hmm. And then we get another shot of the dock lady saying, drop me off at the other end of the island. I'll know how to deal with Kirk. And it's like, oh, all right, fine. I don't understand any of this. I don't know what any of this means. Well, she's a cop. She's a female cop. She knows how to deal with Kirk. She's the cop lady. Right. She has detective skills. But drop me off on the other side of the island? Well, that's going to explain why it takes 15 minutes for her to find him later. Right. Yes, it explains that, but it doesn't explain why train... Ah, never mind. Uh, So the kids end up uh, landing on the beach, and... Cross-eyed boyfriend has chunks of vomit on his face, and then his girlfriend, the 40-ish year old blonde woman, who is now wearing her, let's be honest, somewhat partially vomit-covered, stained, and slightly stinky blue sweater. She gives him a heads up. She's like, you got a little vomit on your face. And he's like, oh, really? I couldn't see it because my eyes are crossed. (laughs) And... I like that Captain Kirk tells Clint Howard to just start, like, getting shit off the boat. Like, we be running some guns. Go hide them in the woods. And <laughs> and immediately, like, as soon as the kids got off the boat, they're totally lost. 
and it's up to the redhead to take the map and and gives it the old turning the map right side up yeah that's funny but also why the fuck were you letting simon cruz lead the charge with the map in the first place if he's so stupid everybody why are we putting him in charge these five idiots tromp across the island and then they cross this bridge that's clearly on a soundstage that's over this bubbling brook and then here we get our like another random cut of the video game in this movie's narrative if you didn't know that this movie was based on a video game what would you think of this like why is this here I know it's based on a video game and I still don't know why it's there. <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to indicate. I don't know. Like it just happens so much and so weirdly random. That's like, okay, I guess it's just a reminder periodically. Like, see, remember the game? <laughs> this is like that. It's like when Rosie Perez was doing that pop lock dance and do the right thing. You know, they would just cut and she was just like violently dancing. And then it would cut back to the narrative of the film. Yeah. Only yeah. that was kind of like sexy and filled with energy and helped to sort of, you know, bolster the film. And it's, it's crescendo towards, you know, this clash of, of race and racism and, you know, cultural, like socioeconomic turmoil. In this movie, you're just like, what the hell is going on? There's a, was that a cartoon zombie throwing an axe at me? Right. And folks at home or in your cars or in prison, wherever you happen to be, it's worth pointing out the reason we keep bringing this up. It's because there are over 30 of these inserts in this movie where it just periodically, you just see a little bit of the video game. (laughs) Right. Sometimes it's to break up two scenes and and create a passage of time. Sometimes it's in the middle of an action scene. Sometimes, like here, it's just at the end of one scene and the beginning of another. There is no rhyme or reason to it. It just kind of happens. Right. They run across the JC's Haunted House Bridge, and uh, Kirk and Clint Howard are unloading the crates. And, And Clint Howard here is like... Let's blow this popsicle stand. <laughs> Sorry, I just like doing that. So Captain Kirk says, We'll leave these douchebags on the island if we can get past the dock lady. Arc. Then he hears something screech, just like a random sound from the woods. And Clint Howard is like, What was that? And <laughs> Captain Kirk is like, Arr, it were nothing. How about you unload this shit in the scary woods? We're making this sound so much better than it is. It's yeah, honestly. So awful. Clint Howard is the greatest thing in this movie. It's, it's the thing that brought me the most joy while watching this. Well, don't get used to him being around. No, unfortunately not. But all right, so later that night, I guess, the kids finally show up at the side of the rave. The quinceanera. The, quince- the shitty quinceanera. <laughs> But it's empty. And then the redhead finds some clothes and and she's like, I think something bad happened here. You think? Yeah, right. She's like, is anyone else worried? Am I the only one? And uh, Simon Cruz and Cross-Eyed are too busy killing some solo cup draft beers to worry too much about what's going on. (laughs) Cross-Eyed's an alcoholic. (laughs) Oh, completely. Yeah, because at one point, we'll get to it in a second, but he's like abandons fucking to be like, I should probably go get some more beers. You want another beer? while i'm up or i'll just get to uh and then we cut over to the boat where it's raining now and and clint howard is still just moving crates it's just a shot of like hey i'm still doing the thing and then we go back to the kids who are leaving it's not raining there it, no it's not raining there and it's not <laughs> raining on the boat in the next scene so whatever man whatever <laughs> 
So, you know, hey, $12 million only gets you so many non-rainy days, I guess. I don't know. Red, Cruz, and the black woman, they just decide to go wander off into the woods to look for people. Right. I don't know. Well, because uh, the blonde and cross eyes have made it clear, like, hey, we're about to do some fucking. If you guys could, like, beat it for a while, like, there's no door handle to put a sock on is the problem. So if you guys could... (laughs) just a little fuck off and we're gonna get down to it do a little humpity bumpity i think is how he describes it because it like they're right on stage like where where <laughs> the dj would be playing and the like three people at the quinceanera would be dancing <laughs> and they're about to fuck on stage and and the blonde is like you've got to take me somewhere like under some sort of roof and he's like all right how about a tent and I can't stress enough, the blonde woman in this movie looks like your mom's hot friend. Like <laughs> right. your mom's really hot friend. She does not look anywhere close to 27. Right. Her her name is Barbara, and she's always talking about a pedicure. And uh, so there, he's like, you ready to do the humpity bumpity? Uh, which, by the way, Chad, if you weren't sure, the humpity bumpity, of course, is your chance to do the humpity. <laughs> We then cut to Clint Howard, who wanders out in the woods, and then he just gets killed. How do you bring Clint Howard into your movie this early and have him die this quickly? I really thought he was going to show up at the end and and be the mastermind behind all this. I, or at least that's what I hoped was going to happen. But no, Clint Howard is gone pretty much. Right. I mean, it's a real so long movie. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another movie where Clint Howard gets a chance to shine. We get a little in memoriam later on, but it's not enough to really make it worthwhile. Yeah. So the kids start walking through the woods where monsters just meaningfully grab tree trunks, mm-hmm. you know, as they're chasing them. It's uh, it's just the worst, Shad. I like watching Cross-Eyed and the blonde blue sweater old lady that they start to have sex and they have sex in a way that nobody has ever had sex in the history of ever. There's all this like giggling and they're doing voices at one another. And then cross eyes says, he's like, I got to go piss. Cause I drank too much of that Budweiser beer, Budweiser, the King of beers sponsors of this shit film. And then <laughs> we get more jump cuts of the video game. Like, uh, huh. Then we cut to Red, Simon Cruz, and the black woman, and they're just wandering around through the woods, and we see all these zombies, I guess, running around, again, slapping their hands on trees. And then we see Captain Kirk, and he's calling out for his little buddy, Clint Howard, which is nowhere to be found because he's dead. And then Captain Kirk grabs a gun to kill somebody? And then <laughs> right. Captain Kirk lights, he lights a wet cigar in the rain. Can Is that a thing? Can you do that? Yeah, I think so. I think I think All you right. can. Maybe. I don't know. Anything's possible in the world of uh, House of the Dead, Chad. Because we're going to learn very quickly, there are no rules to any of this. No, don't none of it make any sense. So, Blondie is a lone air 10 after Greg mm-hmm. took off to get another Budweiser King of Beers. You know he was getting another red solo cup of beer that he was drinking while he pissed like you know come on man he was drinking one while he filled the one he was taking back to the tent up if i'm gonna be getting down with this old lady i'm gonna need a little shot of courage i can't believe she was my high school counselor this relationship is really bringing me down i think it really says something about me more than her but oh Steady, cross-eyes, steady. We cut back to the tent where this middle-aged woman who showed her breast earlier while she was cleaning the vomit off her sweater, well, she just unceremoniously gets attacked and killed by zombies. So she's gone. 
Thanks for showing up in the movie. Uh, We most likely won't see you again, maybe, but even if we do, it ain't going to matter. So, Chad, let me tell you, we are at one of my favorite moments in the movie where our uh, redhead Simon Cruz and Karma uh, is the black lady's name. They have arrived at the church that we saw earlier, what uh, the, the lady went into when she was looking for Matt. Mm-hmm. The puka shell guy. And, the red, it, yeah. and it, it, that is the house of the dead. The, yes, the titular house of the dead has arrived. <laughs> and were you laughing at titular? I was just like, how stupid this is. Oh, okay. I was like, I was immature enough to laugh when I first said it. Too. But here's what I love is when Simon Cruz uh, says, looking at the church, I bet it was built a millennia ago. And the redhead real pissy with him goes, Ugh, Simon, centuries. And I was like, what is she getting his up his ass about? Like, what's the difference? A millennia or centuries? Who gives a shit? Because she's just annoying. Again, you are giving shit to the stupid guy. Just, I, I honestly think they all just feel terrible about themselves, Shad. And this is their way to feel a little bit better. Maybe she had been teaching him things, and recently their lesson had been about millennia and centuries. And he just got it wrong. Yeah, and I'm the one who does the fan fiction on this show. You had a whole, like, tutelage <laughs> subplot with the redheaded Simon. like Her showing him flashcards. No, a thousand years is a millennia, stupid Simon. Decades. Weeks. One year and four months. No. Look at my underwear. I'm the most popular underwear model in the world. We were driving to the store today and I saw a fire truck. My name is Simon Cruz. No, it's not. Shut up. (laughs) Those weren't just two names you saw in a movie once. I know. We then see this specter hiding in the woods and it looks like a Spalding baseball had sex with death from Bill and Ted's bogus journey. It's this (laughs) albino guy in a black hood in total mime face with red stitching across his cheeks and chin and forehead and He's our bad guy. Yeah, you can tell because he's the only one that the camera focuses on for more than about three and a half seconds. Our our heroes, in quotes, bust into the House of the Dead, where they almost get brained by Zach from Saved by the Bell, our narrator, and uh, his cameraman... Uh, not Ethan Hawke. Not Ethan Hawke. And then the uh, Asian lady, whose name, Chad, this, this ought to win you over... Because she's wearing the red, white, and blue onesie. Uh-huh. Uh, her name is Liberty. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, this movie's real dumb. And so Karma is like, hey, what's going on in here? And not Ethan Hawk is like, hey, we don't even have to tell you nothing. I got it all on tape. And they show this video of the attack, which is so silly, Chad. It's full of a bunch of, of young women who, let's be honest, in real life had hopes of potentially being movie stars. But instead, they're just pulling up their shirts and showing off their large breasts in this rave slash Caucasian quinceanera. It's it's a real Girls Gone Wild booby fest. It, it, it's offensively sad. Right. And, it, and it's broken up by a bunch of shabby-looking zombies that just run in and are just like, <laughs> like... It, or, so we're dealing with fast zombies uh, is one thing, and they they just kind of fall on people, and then the camera whips away. I like that there are only two porta potties at this rave. 
Which I got news for you, man. That ain't a rave. That's a backup plan for unexpected holiday guests. Yeah, no, th- this is a real fire festival scenario, Chad. <laughs> where like somebody, w- <laughs> like if the thing had gone off without the zombies, somebody was still going to get sued on the back end of it. Just on Instagram, like there are two porta potties. How did this event even happen on this island? Who scouted it out? Who agreed? Like we're going to have a boat. It's going to charter people over. Don't worry. We have two porta potties to handle all of the poo-poo and pee-pee. We're going to be just fine people. Apparently, they put out an like an ad in Soldier of Fortune for one of them islands that you used to hunt a man. And they were like, we ju- we're not doing that. We just need it for a party. And <laughs> But if someone were to hunt someone, we're not saying it's off the table. So they, they showed the tape, and then not Ethan Hawke says, it was like something out of a Romero movie, man. And you're just like, just again, stop reminding me of movies that are a million times better than this one. And, and at this point, Karma says, a what? <laughs> and not Ethan Hawke gets all indignant. He's like, you know, the trilogy, night, dawn, day. And my note here is just like, fuck this movie, man. In fairness, he's not wrong. It is kind of the holy trilogy, but yeah, but 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 the people making this movie wrote that dialogue. You're yeah. viewing that through the lens of him being an objective third party observer commenting on what's happening of the movie that he's in. You can't have it both ways. You can't be making a shit zombie movie and then praising good zombie movies, commenting on your shitty zombie movies. It doesn't work that way, right? Or just. Like, you use those rules. If you say, like, hey, this is like something of a Romero movie, those rules are hard and fast about what those zombies are and how you kill them. And no, they don't do any of this. Right. And, and they, they don't do any of that stuff. There's no mythology to this mythology other than, like, we'll get to the dumbass reason for this movie, I guess. Um, <laughs> but so the kids uh, tell the, the cameraman, not Ethan Hawke and, and Zach, hey, we got a boat. They're all like, well, then let's get the fuck out of here. But the, the redhead and you know, like our, our central core heroes are like, hey, we've got to go back to the rave for our friends Cross size and cynthia and they're like okay i guess and then we get another game insert and then it's kirk now in the rain again where uh captain kirk is on his boat and a bunch of zombie heads just start closing in around the boat yeah there's this weird screen wipe where the top of the screen comes down to meet the bottom of the screen coming up it's like the editor found this transition feature in their version of after effects it's just it's really awkward there's a lot of these weird edits and transitions in this movie that feel completely out of place yeah it's it's super strange so here's a question i have to pose to you chad Uh because now we come to a scene that is uh there to illuminate our characters a bit is this with Red and Zach from Saved by the Bell? That's right. That's the one uh, where they're kind of chit-chatting, doing a little walk and talk all West Wing style. Right. <laughs> and Redhead is saying like, hey, what were you doing with Liberty? You know, I don't think she's red, white, and blue, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, no, it sounds kind of racist, but I'm not sure. What? Do you know what she meant? Uh yeah, I think she meant that in WW2, we know what side she's on. I got you. Not America's. But that seems like it would be something that was 60 years ago from the time of this film. <laughs> she spent a lot of time with her great Right. Her Yeah, her, her grandfather is Eastwood from Gran Torino. Just 
driving her around the neighborhood, like teaching her to drive and filling her head with all kinds of good ideas. Her her uncle or great uncle is Tom Brokaw behind the scenes. Like, let me tell you about the greatest generation, the real greatest generation. Tokyo Rose. It was a troubling situation. The horrible Asians and the the diseases that they spread. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, camera's back up. Let's talk about internment camps. Good idea or great idea? Why does it sound like our Tom Brokaws are just drunk? <laughs> because it's Tom Brokaw. Uh, fair enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> then Redhead says... Well, Simon Cruz over there is the best underwear model, model in America. Uh, a title which I held for two years, Shad, uh, in the or the early aughts. Unofficial, self-imposed. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was told that by one Matthew McConaughey. And when Matthew McConaughey is like, hey, you're the best underwear model <laughs> in America, man. That's gospel. Was being a big underwear model a thing in the early 2000s? I remember that Mark Wahlberg had his underwear ad and then like David Beckham, he was kind of famous for getting a picture of him in underwear with his big dick. But I can't cite any other famous underwear models. I doubt that this guy is the most famous one in America. I think Red made this up. Well, but he could be, Chad, to your point. And kind of who cares, you know? (laughs) The reason that we don't know that is because, like, who's the most famous underwear model in America right now, Chad? I don't have that name. Guys, guess what? I'm the best marshmallow eater in the world. Okay? You know who can jump this high? Me. (laughs) Nobody does it better than me. What are you talking about? I can jump on the most trampolines in a row. I can go trampoline to trampoline to trampoline. Nobody can move their fingers as fast as I do. Look. Stop it, Todd. I'm tripping. <laughs> then we get more jump cut video game footage because <laughs> it kind of is that. Meanwhile, at the bat cave, we're at the quinceanera. And so Redhead is just yelling, like, hey, anybody here? Our main character, Zach, is like, will you shut the fuck up? Uh, because of all the zombies and whatnot. And she is skeptical, as one might be. When, sure. when they are told zombies are uh, are here. And they hear some bangs from one of the two porta potties at the quinceanera. And they open it up. And there is Cross Eyes, now covered in puke and shit. And piss. And piss. There's definitely piss in there. Right. He is a, a frothy mix of, of sights and smells. He's not covered to the extent where you would actually expect one to be if a porta potty turned over, you know? Yeah. Because if you're in a porta potty and it flips over, not only are you going to be covered in the piss and shit and vomit and blue liquid that's in there natively, you are also going to be covered in your own vomit from having thrown up because of the smell and the residual taste in the air. And then you would also expect there to be a certain amount of blood from your now absent fingernail that were ripped off as you tried to claw your way to freedom outside of this makeshift topside sewage-filled plastic sarcophagus. I put a little thought in Yeah, this. no, I. It, it's a horrifying notion. When you say, like, uh, clawing the fingernails off, I immediately go to, you know, put the lotion in the basket. Cross Eyes does something that's the opposite of good acting. And then he notices that his blonde-haired, blue sweater vomit target is gone. And then out of nowhere comes this blonde-haired 40-something girlfriend who is now a zombie. And she immediately kills not Ethan Hawke. 
Thanks for stopping by the movie, not Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yeah. This movie introduces characters and dismisses them in incredible fashion. Well, because don't nothing matter, Chad. Like, we're not invested in any character. So, you know, in a way, there is a weird art to the fact that these characters can come and go without any emotional or intellectual response from the viewer. I guess. I mean, it'd be like if you're watching The Goonies and within the first seven minutes, Chunk gets hit by a garbage truck and you're like, what the fuck? Fuck, man. Why was that guy even introduced into your plot? Right, except Chunk had never done the truffle shuffle or anything endearing. He was just a kid who happened to be on camera. He's just running across the street, honk, honk, funk. Right, who was that? He's our neighbor Chunk, I guess. <laughs> Nobody liked him in the first place. Right. At that point, the Fratellis have nobody to torture. <laughs> Sloth never comes around and, and stays a villain. It's a, this is the It's a Wonderful Life for Chunk. See, Chunk, you lived a wonderful life. <laughs> is there something you want to tell the people now that... <laughs> Now that you've seen the value of life, uh huh. I poured a milkshake over the balcony. And I made this sound that's like. <laughs> All right, I'm done. The the dock lady shows up and shoots Blondie in the head. And dock lady's a cop, right? Yeah, as it happens. And then she says, "What the hell was that?" I was like, "Now that is a cop. That's a real." <laughs> <laughs> shoot first, ask questions later kind of scenario. I'm surprised you didn't shoot the black chick. I thought she was a zombie. No! Are you sure? Yes! Witch doctor? Really? <laughs> no! Voodoo zombie? Voodoo priestess. Yeah. Witch. Wizard? Storm from the X-Men? Warlock. Fetish doll. So, uh, she radios from MacGyver's, who is her partner who doesn't answer. And the kids at this point are like, hey, Captain Kirk's boat is close. And uh, Casper is the name of our dock lady. And she asks to be taken to the boat. But then, Chad, we go back to the sometimes raining boat where Captain Kirk is mm -hmm. pacing the decks. And a bunch of zombies swim up to the boat and start climbing up. And here's a fun game you can can play while watching this scene chad is is it how many fucking bullets does this guy have it's not that one it's how many of those bullets go into the same zombie <laughs> because apparently they had put a stuntman into one zombie outfit and so he takes all the bullets in this scene <laughs> And it's really fun. Is this scene with all the gun shooting supposed to feel like the video game? Because it doesn't. There's kind of a scene later that does that. It's just him just shooting a bunch of zombies. And there's no, like, there's no energy or excitement to any of this. It's, again, it's just a thing that's happening on screen. You remember when you used to work in that pizza joint and there was this guy who was in the military and he worked in the kitchen with you. Uh -huh. And I remember him always having, like, a, a paperback in his back pocket and it was like always like leaves of grass or grapes of wrath or the bell jar or some other pretentious work of literature that he could you know pull out in front of chick sure there was this one night we were upstairs uh drinking beer as i do all the time and uh this dude was smoking a marlboro light and he was drinking a paps blue ribbon and he was playing the video game lethal enforcer and i think he had the pink gun or maybe the blue pistol i don't know which one but anyway he looked over at me and he went check it out the bureau of alcohol tobacco and fire arms all in one place and he started shooting up the game and i was like damn that's a really smart joke i love smart jokes even from a guy with a pretentious you know piece of literature in his back pocket this movie doesn't have anything like that and i don't think this movie has any jokes but i remember that being a very funny moment yeah 
And in fairness, I can't remember that gentleman's name now, but uh, was actually a very uh, friendly, clever guy. I don't. Yeah, I don't, he was. It was a funny dude. Yeah, I don't know if he was using the books for ladies, but you know what? Hey, cast a wide net, man. <laughs> you know. That's why I am always walking around with a copy of the Holy Bible, Frank Herbert's Dune, and Eat, Pray, Love. You never know. <laughs> See, that's the kind of shit that you say that I'm like, yeah, that's Brian from Family Guy. Uh, it's just truth, brother. Just just helping others where I can. And by that, I mean helping myself. <laughs> right. How do I get ahead, Chad? That is the question I, I wake up to, and it's the question I go to bed with. Help me help you help me. <laughs> Yeah, what is what is time again? Captain Kirk shoots the same zombie <laughs> a bunch of times. And then um, we cut back to the kids who are in the woods. And the redhead starts crying over Blondie for no reason. I didn't know they were that close. Or she's like, she always had great tips for my mom's skin. She always had a cigarette when I needed to just <laughs> relax a little bit. When I told her I was afraid I was pregnant, she told me all about her hysterectomy. Off in the woods, we see the stitched up death from Bill and Ted's bogus journey, and he's lurking around. And then there are these random creatures, zombies, robots, werewolves, vampires, Frankensteins, Nosferatus, Weeble Wobbles, Oompa Loompas, Didgeridoos running around the woods. It, basically, they're just these random bad guys that are like, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, running through the through the moors to make sure that we know, like, oh, something's gonna happen. Well, yeah, and we know it's a for realsies action scene when the the techno music starts playing <laughs> and they they're getting chased through the woods and they they make it to the beach where they start making their way toward the boat and stupid Simon Cruz swims out from a pier that by the way another game you can play is uh to find the scenes where there ain't no pier near the boat uh cuz they shot in two different places and didn't bother <laughs> you know it's just fun games you can play while watching this movie is all so he jumps out into the water off of uh off of the pier and then gets dragged down under the water by a zombie and then Liberty swims out to help him and then then Captain Kirk is shooting some zombies and then Liberty gets dragged under the water without Simon Cruz this time. And then Captain Kirk shoots some more zombies and then he gets bit by a zombie Chad. Right. And then the fight is over when the dance music stops. Yeah. This movie does that a lot. Like, you know, the scene is over when they turn down the music. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really good. It's like, uh, they're, they're one of those like animatronic monkeys with symbols like that bangs every time it hears a sound in the room. Simon Cruz goes over and starts kicking one of the dead zombies in the belly and cursing at it and then the the zombie vomits acid up on simon cruz's face thus ending his career as an underwear model and then wait 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 wait, wait. chad before we get past that um why would that end his underwear model career just shoot him from the neck down from now on well he's not a hand model right but he's you know? an, underwear I mean, model, he... an underwear model you want to see what's going on from the neck up you don't want to have one of those tex avery situations where you start at the feet and then you come up the sexy legs and then you see the the supple hips and the tight abdomen and then you're up to the pecs and the arms then you get up to the face and it's a Auga. Well, it, I, he's not wearing the underwear on his head. Like <laughs> maybe it is, it, but it, it should lend an air of mystery. Like, oh well, who is Simon Cruz? We never <laughs> see his face. I wonder why. I wonder if he's hideously deformed or something. But he's clearly got a great package <laughs> and and abs for days. The lady cop comes up and she puts two in the brain of the vomit zombie, and then Cross Eyes runs over to Simon Cruz and he sees that he has. Uh, 
got this huge acid washed face now where it's just like bubbling with blood and and oop and goop and then simon cruz apparently has the most experience with people vomiting in this film as earlier when he threw up on the blonde head mm-hmm. That's a good foreshadowing. Right. And he takes a like a, a dirty towel or rag and just slaps it on the face of Simon Cruz. And then Liberty is like, are you a doctor? And I was like, what the hell kind of doctor do you go to? You know, <laughs> like the cross-eyed kind with feces and piss all over their shirt that just slap dirty towels on people's faces? Yeah. The, no, he's not a doctor. And then cross-eyed's like, um... I'm pre-med. And she's like, why aren't you looking at me? Why are you staying at that tree? Oh, I thought I was. Are you cross-eyed? No. You're never going to be my doctor. Well, maybe you will. I don't know. I don't go to the doctor very often. Except when I need an abortion. I'm Liberty. Not in Georgia. Captain. (laughs) South of the Mason-Dixon. It's to the left of this line, but below here. Anything between east of Virginia and south of Ohio. North of Tennessee, but west in this tiny area. Basically, what I'm saying is step right up and win some crap. Uh, I like the fact that they just have coat hangers at the rest stops in Georgia now. That's customer service. <laughs> There's a big guy who's willing to punch you in the belly or throw you down some stairs for $25. Shots of bleach, $2. These are abortion jokes. And you don't get that on most podcasts. Not not that clever an abortion joke. No. Um, or that abrasive. <laughs> So they debate uh, at this point what has attacked them. And the redhead is like, look, everyone, it's zombies. We just need to get used to that idea. And it's like, I guess, I mean, I don't know that that's what I would leap to because they don't act like zombies in any way. Other, I guess they're reanimated corpses and that's enough. I like that Kirk comes over and he's drinking out of a flask. And look, let's get one thing straight. If you own a flask and you use this flask as a portable container for hard liquor, you are an alcoholic. <laughs> that's not just movie rules. That is a real life lesson. No bullshit, Chad. I have a Firefly <laughs> flask. <laughs> the question is have you ever used I it? have not no because okay. because I'm not an alcoholic <laughs> and I don't need like it's just a goofy gift that I got right it I no I do not ever use a flask to take a little nip when I really need to steal myself for that big meeting the best part about the flask is like when you really turn it up and you get the <laughs> right let me get every last drop out of this thing oh my god how did i let it get so low to begin with oh how do i know it makes that sound yeah chad <laughs> let's put a mirror up to you where's your flask bet it's not a firefly flask. it's definitely not <laughs> it, 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 it's got our harley davidson on it now that he's taken his nip of courage captain kirk can tell the story of the movie which is there was a guy named castile who was on on an old boat and then he get he's chained up and it looks like a knockoff billy zane is yeah. is who castile looks like mm-hmm. and like if you multiplicity billy zane and he would be the third one and he's chained up and he says to the captain come close and captain kirk says castile was locked up for his uh he be doing unholy experiments and um castile then says uh that there's no there is no god only me and he chokes the ship captain with his chains and then captain kirk says he killed every last man on the ship and enslaved the native people of island de la muerte which is mexican for dead and he killed anyone else who came close and that is the story of house of the dead one thing i think we need to make sure that we 
you know, sort of tie up a loose end on is that a little bit earlier, Captain Kirk, when he gets bit, um, Simon Cruz comes over and takes his flask of booze. And first thing he does is that he pours the, the liquor on the acid washed face of the underwear model to like keep him clean or whatever which I was like how is it that Zach from Saved by the Bell his answer to everything is just pour a little booze on it you know because he did that to Captain Kirk's bite wound he did it to the acid wash face of our underwear model I, I don't know that booze, first off, it is the solution to and cause of all of life's problems. But I don't know that if you see an open, open wound, your first step is to pour booze on it. Like acid burns, you pour booze on it. Gunshot wound, little booze on that. Compound fracture, splash a little of the hard stuff. Crippling depression, well, here's some liquor. Are you hearing voices? Lola Grandpa's cough syrup. Uncontrollable rage and an itchy hair trigger finger. Glug, glug, my friend. Inability to talk to women. Well, just drink this. Paralyzing fear of driving your car car at night on public streets have i got the elixir that'll fix her booze it'll take care of all your problems says me zach the narrator of this movie (laughs) brought to you by the national alcohol board and mad as you were saying it i thought to myself boy i could go for a drink so cross eyes and casper are uh are making their way through the, the woods here as the zombies Casper's the the lady lady cop. cop. Zombies chasing after him. She ends up telling Greg, uh, who's cross eyes, to run. And we know shit's about to pop off, Chad, because here comes the dance music. There's a a shot here where cross eyes, as he's kind of running away, has is all strapped down with grenades. And I was like, uh-huh. where the fuck did Cross Eyes get all, all the grenades? Well, it turns out that this shot was just used out of sequence, Chad, because here in a minute he gets some. This was just edited poorly. <laughs> anyway, he has a bunch of grenades. And then he hides from the zombies because I guess he's the smart one. And then he just runs some more and then he's surrounded and gets eight. And then they're, they we actually do like the red video game screen. And then we see the jigsaw guy grin from behind a tree, all ominous like. And that is the end of cross eyes the lady cop in this movie is played by ellie cornell who was in halloween 4 and halloween 5 i think she was the proxy for jamie lee curtis in those movies and in this film she looks like katie couric if katie couric consistently walked around carrying an assault rifle i don't know that she doesn't do that in her day-to-day life maybe she does she worked with matt lauer maybe you know she came packing yeah back off lauer i I feel one hand on my thigh i'm gonna let the tommy gun do the talking after this scene, we come back to our 30-something-year-old gang of aging actors and actresses in this movie. And they're with Captain Kirk, and they all decide to make a run for the House of the Dead, that church building with the graveyard outside. And Simon Cruz says, but we don't have any guns or food. I'm like, are you hungry now? <laughs> like, that's a thing? Right, well, he thought he was going to get guns to eat. And then Captain Kirk is like, arg, not ye be so fast. And then straight out of his ass, he pulls this huge crate that is full of cigars and high-powered weaponry and machetes and assault rifles and shotguns and boomsticks and dynamite. It really comes out of nowhere. You know, I like a scene like this in a movie. Like, I like it when uh, in monster movies and creature features and stuff like that where you have that initial attack from the monsters and it's like holy shit we are dealing with something serious we gotta we gotta put aside our petty differences and and really arm ourselves up and and get ready to fight as as one team and uh and i like those scenes you know where they like you know 
it's the Rambo like, scenes of like you're slapping the clip and the gun, you're strapping the bullets across your chest, you're tying a knife to your thigh. Right. You know, you're putting a toothpick in your mouth, you're combing back your hair, you're wiping your ass, you're calling up your old girlfriend, you know, you're hiding in the bushes with a set of binoculars. I mean, telescope's fine. I find it's easy to store. Then we get some jump cut footage of the video game. Like, Yeah. Oh, also, because again, this movie's insufferable. There's actually a line where Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk says, let me introduce (laughs) you to my little friend. Fuck you. Ugh. That is that's that is too much to unpack in one moment. A a crappily named character referencing a, again a far better film. Anyway, they wrote that yes, or they improved it. It's just it's inexcusable. Let me give you one other fun House of the De- the Dead game to play that you can play in the next scene where you see in this in this scene as we're you know strapping weapons to other appendages that like uh redhead gets a shotgun there's uh karma gets like this pistol zach from uh saved by the bell gets a, a revolver like everybody's arming up right it feel and it feels very video gamey it does and but what's fun in the next scene you will see this blend of the slow motion like 360 shots and and shots where they're running and try to count how many times the gun changes in, in between the shots. Because what they're shooting when they, when it goes all 360 is not what they're shooting when they're running. You're saying that this movie pays little attention to continuity? <laughs> yeah, Chad. That's what I'm getting at. House of the Dead. The fatal flaw in House of the Dead. That's like seeing a little fat kid and going, I'll bet he likes cupcakes. Like, well, no shit. Hey, look, I, I get my entertainment where I can in this movie, and uh, and counting the guns is one of the things I like. And anyway, But all right, so at the house, uh, they're, they're like outside the house of the dead, and our heroes find themselves uh, in a bit of crossfire because there's zombies wandering around outside the house of the dead, and there are zombies coming from behind them through the woods. But the the House of the Dead is surrounded not only by zombies, but there are also a myriad of lit tiki torches all over the place to provide ambient light. And my question for you, Bo, is can a 20-something white male walk into a party city and buy tiki torches without being suspected as a racist on his way to a protest? Is that the only thing that you're buying? It's a 20-something white male buying tiki torches at a party city. Will the cashier think this person is a racist? No. No, because I think it's a party city. Okay, would that same thing be true if you were in South Carolina? I mean, is there a rally happening? I, that, I'm saying a, a, a 20-something white male goes into a party city and is buying tiki torches in South Carolina. Will the cashier think this person might be a racist? Chad, I'm an optimist. You know that. Uh, I what? I believe that it is... No, I don't think that he would immediately be assumed that he was a racist. I think it has to be extenuating circumstances. What if that person was wearing a Panama Jack t-shirt? Any more or any less? I, mm, I mean, it doesn't help. But uh, what if that person was surrounded by eight-year-olds going on and on about their first overnight sleepover? Okay, that's it reduces the racism level by a wide margin. What if they were standing there with Spike Lee beside them? 
Oh yeah, then almost there's almost no chance of uh that tiki torch being used in a racially charged scenario. What if that person had a concealed carry weapon strapped to their hip? It, are all the other things still true? No, just tiki torches. Okay. Gun on their hip, party city. Yeah, okay. 20 something uh, white male. Yeah, I mean the, the odds shoot up at that point if you're if you're showing up strapped. What if that person was 12 inches tall? <laughs> then, you know, what does it matter? What if you're 12 feet tall? Well, then you got to call the police immediately. What if you were Beck? I I think it's less Nazi problems than the Scientology. What if you're wearing one of those red skin tight devil costumes? Oh, 100% you're above board. That's fine. You you are probably in a play. What if you're with your black, Jewish, bisexual, liberal, majoring in women's studies girlfriend? Yes. Like you that that reduces uh any any chance of uh, a racially a racially charged purchase. What if you arrived at the party city driving the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile? Mm, are you in uniform? Sure. Okay, then you're fine. What if you were with Guy Fieri? Oh, that's you're probably interested. No, actually, I've I, I've heard he's nice, right? Isn't he a good guy? I guess. All right, yeah, no, you're fine, Guy Fieri. I've heard he does a lot of great things with communities and stuff. Okay, I'm on board. What if you are clearly paying for these with a wheelbarrow filled with change that was stolen from a park fountain? It it increases the odds. Yes. What if you're in blackface? Oh wow! I it, you don't need the tiki torch at that point. You've made the statement if, you were aiming for. What if you're wearing a mesh tank top that says zero to bitch in six point nine seconds? Oh, you're going to a party. All right. Our crew of gun-toting CW rejects, uh, they get ambushed by zombies, and they just essentially NRA their way into the House of the Dead. And we're intercut with more video game footage that nobody wants to see. And at this point in making my notes, I did a time check. I was like, how much is left in this movie? I was like, holy shit, we got... 40 minutes left of a 90 minute film, which don't worry, listeners, we're going to hustle through this very, very Well, because this action scene is, what, 20 minutes long? I thought you were going to say unnecessary, but both are true. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, it is literally just them walking through the cemetery and shooting stuff occasionally in slow motion. And occasionally there's a clip from the video game. And that's it. Like the notable things that happen, Liberty gets eaten. And when that happens, for some reason, Zach has a flashback that's just a quick summary of the movie we've seen so far. I've never taken so few notes for so much time in any movie we've ever right. reviewed. And maybe maybe some of those magic mic dance numbers, but other than that, I just was like this just does this goes on and on and on and nobody cares. It's just people shooting zombies, these 360 cinematic shots that don't matter for nothing. And that's the thing. They're not used for a purpose other than maybe this would be cool. Like in the Matrix and so forth, when you see the, that kind of camera work, it, it is used sparingly and it, it is used to dramatic effect. That, you know, the whole idea is that, yes, he is able to perceive time differently, and so that's why he's moving slow. In a movie like this, which is clearly stealing that shit from (laughs) The Matrix, it's just people standing there shooting a gun... And it slows it down for no good reason. When Liberty gets killed and there's this red wash that pours over her, at the end of her scene, is there a fart that happens? (laughs) Yes, there is. Yes. Yes, there is. It is... (laughs) I mean, I gotta think it's just the people doing sound design for this movie being like, who the fuck is gonna notice or care? 
Because she gets killed and it washes to red and then you just hear... <laughs> that happens in this movie. Don't know if that was intentionally funny or not. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I watched this with my wife and I was like, did you just hear a fire? She was like, yeah. I was like, well, good. I'm not just imagining things. Um, then Brian Doyle Murray shows up, not really him, as uh, Casper's second in command that we haven't seen yeah, before. Yeah, who cares? And he's just like, Err. and she's like, oh, not you, Brian Doyle Murray. And then she shoots him. And and here's we, where we get into another problem is sometimes it seems like just shooting him in the chest kills him. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's shooting him in the head, but sometimes that doesn't work. Again, this feels like nitpicking a really shitty movie, but it's also really frustrating when you don't understand what the reality of the movie is. They don't explain any of the rules. Uh, let me give you a better example. Lady Cop, she's shooting zombies. She gets attacked by a group of zombies and then she runs to a window where she can get into the House of the Dead. And then Zach from Saved by the Bell, he's inside the House of the Dead and then he pulls Lady Cop inside as she's being attacked by zombies. And when he pops her inside, it turns out that she's gone full Lieutenant Dan and she ain't got no legs. <laughs> right. She's She got so attacked by zombies that they ate both of her legs. And then the lady cop dies, which my first thought was, is she going to become a nubby leg zombie? Because in another scene, we see a nubby leg zombie pulling him or herself around by their arms and their upper torso. Why doesn't that happen to her? I guess we learn that the you have to touch the blood or whatever or be just i mean yeah right you just can't make i know heads nor tails of this but they finally get inside the house because of uh casper going through the window and they drag the captain in along with the zombie and the redhead shoots that zombie and then it turns out that the captain has been bit again so kirk has been double bit now Mm -hmm. and he's gonna become a zombie right isn't that how the rules work uh, maybe not we don't know yeah, I mean, and there's no way to tell by the way that he he ends. But anyway, so there's a big deal about tying a tourniquet, which, which may be the most dramatic tourniquet tightening scene of all time, where it's just like, go ahead, do it. And, uh, yeah. you know, one dude's like, no, it hurts. Right. Like, all right, bite down on this leather strap. I, I will count to three, and then I'm going to tighten this tourniquet. No, just give me some, uh, some bourbon, and I'll be fine. And it goes back and forth forever. I've got a flask inside me jacket and one in me back pocket and one in me boot. There's also one in me front pocket. I've got two in me hands, one in me mouth, one under me hat. Also, you said you were a, a doctor. How about you cut me open, squeeze out me, me liver. And then wring it out in me mouth. I'm sure there's a drop or two of the good stuff in there. If you can get me a tube that comes from the liver right back to my mouth, <laughs> close the circle. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Arr. That's me motto. The, act locally, think globally, I says. Ark, have ye heard of the Green New Deal? <laughs> E-O-C, that's the way for me. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. If global warming continues, ocean levels rise, and that's good for me career. But I've really done some research, and I think that you are making a terrible mistake. I'm thinking of me pirate children. And they're pirate children. <laughs> what sort of water world we be, be we leaving for them? Outside the zombies, 
they're dragging off their dead, so they're really big into composting. I'm sorry to stop you here, Chad, but uh-huh. as the zombies, just before they start dragging off their dead, we get, again, this is another moment where I just couldn't believe this was in the movie where redhead and zach from uh saved by the bell are chit-chatting looking out the window and one of them actually says it's quiet out there and zach says yeah too quiet and it wasn't ironic it was actual lines from an actual movie as if no one used that as the cliche uh of all time in their film following that simon cruz and the black woman they're kind of hanging out and simon cruz takes i think the bandage off his face and then these two start making out with tongue (laughs) right where did this come from they don't know each other at all his face is horribly disfigured it's just vile also so I really like the fact that w- when he's being a real a real princess about them, don't look at me. When they start making out, he's like, don't do this uh, for me. And she's like, I'm doing it for me, baby. And I was like, all right, uh, I, I appreciate that at least. She's like, ah, I'm not worried about your face. I'm here for the fucking. So yeah. just don't look me in the eye. On the B side of that scene, Red and Zach, they're arguing over the fact that the lady cop, the one with no more legs, They're like, oh, she's dead. And then it just escalates in an argument to the point to where these two start making out for no good goddamn reason (laughs) at all. Yeah. What about all your fencing troubles? Have you healed those wounds? Have you mended those fences, Chad? You're welcome. You are welcome. (sighs) While they're inside the house of the dead, for some unknown reason, they find a bunch of ammunition that all is perfect for each of their guns. And then they find a book that's a ship manifest. And we get backstory to a plot that nobody cares about i'm not even going to go into well but that. it's just a rehash of the one we already heard it's it, it's the same stupid nonsense and if i may chad another line that i dearly dearly love in this movie is just good old-fashioned shitty writing is uh redhead when she finds the book she says it's old maybe it'll help us all right that makes as much sense as anything i guess <laughs> i mean i don't know that that's really a a, a good reason simon cruz uh red and the black woman and the uh the handsome narrator, Zach from Saved by the Bell, they all leave to go explore the House of the Dead. And they leave Captain Kirk all by himself on this table. And then Zach from Saved by the Bell, he kicks down this door and finds this separate room and they enter into it. And it looks like the basement at the monster's house. And it's full of beakers and tubes and all sorts of mad scientist nonsense. And there are some random zombie bodies laying around on the ground. The place is just filled with human remains. Red and Zach from Saved by the Bell, they walk over and they find this old timey microscope. And Zach looks inside and he's like, it's blood, <laughs> but not human blood. It's been mutated. I've never seen anything like it before. It's fucking genius. Look, man, nobody, including the actor playing this part, thinks that the character of Zach from Saved by the Bell is capable of extrapolating anything related to these types of biological insights from peeking in this old-timey microscope. Yeah. At the at best, he was going to pour some booze on top of it <laughs> and be like, well, my work is done. This medical forensic genius uh, who can identify mutated blood cells and their purpose at a glance was the cameraman at a shitty quinceanera. <laughs> Sponsored by Sega Video. Games. Right, right. But the, honestly, this is one of my favorite moments in the in this stupid movie when when he's like, "It's completely unnatural. It's fucking genius. It's it is so like scrumptiously awful." Uh, we we get one last you know brief moment of joy 
as Captain Kirk, who has just been laying around on this table all the time. He hears someone whistling, love me tender. He's like, arg, could that be me first mate, Clint Howard? (laughs) And then Captain Kirk goes outside, and who does he see? Clint Howard staggering up, but he's now a zombie. So Captain Kirk immediately just shoots him in the head, and it's like, well, thanks for coming back, Clint Howard. Goodbye. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's and he's gone. And then, at that point, the zombies decide to start attacking again, because they have been lulled into a false sense of security by the dummies inside the house of the dead Arg! don't worry about it i've got a plan i'll step outside and light a stick of dynamite <laughs> right. like me hero yosemite sam it'll solve all me problems don't worry this was recycled dynamite reuse you get it <laughs> captain kirk blows himself up killing a bunch of zombies but in doing so it explodes inwardly the windows and doors of the house of the dead good going stupid yeah you didn't think that one through at all i disagree chad i think he's just more of a we're all going to hell tonight kind of guy <laughs> it was like if i'm dying so are you motherfuckers enjoy the zombies that are sure to come pouring in the four remaining characters are like fuck <laughs> right? and they all bear what did that stupid old man do and they go into this room which is filled with barrels of gunpowder oh chad another delectable line of dialogue where zach says oh it's stupid gunpowder all we can do is blow stuff up with it it's like right that seems to be critical to your needs right now When they're in this back room, (laughs) Zach from Saved by the Bell and Red, they're looking around and they see this creature swimming in a fish tank. And then the black woman enters and she just shoots the fish tank with her gun for no reason at all. Why would she do this? Just like, kill it! The the liquid pours out from this tank, which immediately reanimates all of the corpses laying around on the ground. So again, good going, stupid. Like everybody is playing this completely wrong if they want to live. They're basically being chased out of that room and they're now stuck in the gunpowder room again. And somebody points out in a timely fashion, they're busting through the door and they grab the zombies, grab Simon Cruz, who again has a real, like we're all going to hell tonight kind of attitude about it where he's just like, Oh, this guy softly got me by the shoulder. Guess I'm dead. And just points a gun at the gunpowder At which point, Zach from Saved by the Bell is like, holy shit. And they jump down this, uh, you know, cellar, essentially. I guess. And then... In slow motion. Of course, in slow motion, because... You know, it's the taking down the panties of this movie. It's the one move it's got is to slow motion and occasionally in a circle. And then the entire House of the Dead explodes and we're like, hey, I guess we win. Except the kids are now just in catacombs beneath the House of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And Zach is like, well, one of these must lead to the beach or something, right? And they're like, I guess so. You lead the way, Zach. And then the zombies attack. And this is kind of the scene from like directly from the game where we intercut again a lot of scenes or a lot of clips from the video game into this scene of them walking down this kind of mine shaft looking tunnel shooting zombies and i will say the one cool thing in this movie the one thing that i actually thought oh that's kind of clever and i haven't seen that in another movie was when uh zach is shooting and he says i'm out uh of bullets 
and karma says i've got this so while he's reloading she takes over the shooting i was like oh that that's kind of neat and would be kind of a clever thing in another movie here it's just like oh here's one interesting idea in a wasteland of nothing and then she dies yes because a bunch of zombies get around her and then they kill her and then out of nowhere this mysterious figure in a black cloak shows up and who could it be it's cross eyes (laughs) right why is he in this i did not see that twist coming nor did i need that it's completely out of place don't worry because it only lasts for a second long enough to lure redhead and zach uh into a lab an evil lair complete with skeletons and surgical equipment and probably doubloons and they're like hey cross eyes where have you been this whole time cross eyes hey cross eyes boy you cat got your tongue cross eyes how come you're not talking cross eyes and it takes zach discovering a still alive skinned cross eyes hanging from the ceiling to be like say i think there might be something wrong with our friend cross eyes and she's like oh my god he's got me and a bunch of zombies come out and grab our our heroes that are are remaining uh redhead and zach the two zombies that grab them are conquistadors yes these are presumably the zombies (laughs) that were on the ship when he first arrived they're zombie conquistadors Uh uh-huh attacking 40 something year old rave attendees that's right Right. You're telling me, are you not entertained, Chad? We think of this sepia-toned, old-timey footage of Castillo. Remember him? Our movie's bad guy, who we never see in the entire movie. And we see that he was the one who discovered blood that lets him live forever. Yeah. This is just lazy, incoherent writing. Speaking of lazy, incoherent writing, Chad, another another round of Bo's favorite lines from House of the Dead. When uh, Zach is, like, pinned down to the table and... And, and Castile is revealing his evil origin story. And Zach says, you did all this to be immortal. Why? And Castile's response is, to live forever. It's like, you're right. That's what immortal means. But, all right, fine. It's <laughs> But again, it's delightful. Like, when you stop and think for two seconds about what these people are saying to one another, it really takes on a life of its own. But we get a, yeah, this, this stupid flashback of Castile using the blood on himself or something, and then he makes himself a jigsaw person. And then he licks Redhead in the face, and he's got a gross black tongue. And then, all right, so we're at literally, like, the last... I don't know, 90 seconds of the movie. And, Pretty much. And about 12 things are going to happen real fast. So Redhead grabs the sword because remember, she's a fencer. And then she stabs Castile in the gut and then runs off while Zach from Saved by the Bell just happens upon a grenade, fortunately. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? No, that you're. these are my notes that he... He finds a grenade on the step, which explodes and blows up the entire laboratory and all of the inhabitants. Right. And all of that goes down in about 10 seconds. Right. And then Red and Zach from Saved by the Bell, they run away in slow motion. And then Red and then Zach from Saved by the Bell, they run away in slow motion while Red's breast takes center stage and they're a jiggling and a bouncing and her ass was wiggling too. That's my Jackie Gleason from season one, episode one of Smokey and the Bandit of Big Six Movies. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, it is one of the most gratuitous boob shots. Since Tomb Raider. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Since the last episode. Where there is another similarly gratuitous shot of of, uh, Angelina Jolie running. But the explosion does not kill Castillo. He's not dead. Remember, he has lived forever blood. So Castillo emerges from the smoky ruins of these railroad tunnels with his own sword. And it's a real, you killed my father, prepare to die type of uh, appearance. Yes, uh, except without any of the clever swordplay that marked that film. Um, Instead, what you have is a lot of really bad editing and him just stabbing downward while somebody blocks it and it's terrible and there's some more of those awful 360 shots and then finally castile stabs red right in the in the chest between her two perfect breasts right and then zach from saved by the bell has an axe that he's been sandbagging like waiting for his time to strike Right. And then he cuts Castile's head off with with mm-hmm. said axe, but reanimator style, the body keeps attacking while the head directs it and starts choking Zack from Saved by the Bell. But Red isn't dead. She walks over and crushes the decapitated head of Castillo with her foot and she says, Game over, fucker. Yes, and then immediately collapses and dies, which I appreciate. And so then we come full circle, like the uh, all good films, Chad. We have have come around to where we began. Uh, And a helicopter arrives, and it's uh, Zach from Saved by the Bell narrating all this about like, oh, there were so many dead bodies and so many victims. And it's a a bunch of government dudes who... Bunch of men in black. Right, who, who, by the way, uh, are are telling each other to remain on alpha alert, Mm -hmm. uh, which I assume is the most alert yeah it is all right which if i'm on an island where they're already talking about reanimated humanoids uh, you don't have to tell me to be on alpha alert chad i sure. got that covered yeah. so and it turns out that red is still not dead and this is uh something for the fanboys chad uh he reveals that his last name is curian and that is the name of a villain in one of the uh, House of the Dead video games. Who knows that? Um, well, Wikipedia does, and then I did. <laughs> but it, it's such a on-the-nose comment. He's like, what's your name? And he's like, Rudolph. Rudolph. Whoosh, Curian. Bum, bum, bum. And everybody's like, who? What the fuck is he talking about? It turns out, of course, he gave a little bit of blood, the the zombie blood, to Red to keep her alive or whatever, and then bad rap happens, and and we are done with with House of the Dead. I think this is the worst movie we've ever discussed. It's so bad. There is nothing good about this movie, with the exception of the one like moment where it was like, oh, that's kind of neat that he reloaded while she was shooting, and then they swapped places. Okay, that I mean that's yeah. it. And you know, Clint Howard is always a delight. He, he was the ice cream man, Chad. I, I really thought it was going to be years from now that we saw something that was worth than It's Pat the movie. And this did it so much more quickly. Yeah, and we're not even done with this season yet. Like, I almost, <laughs> I almost felt like after I selected this, this was a, a pick for me, of course, <laughs> that after I selected it, I almost wanted to apologize. You know, to be like, look, I I know, I know. Because we got to watch these movies a couple of times. When I'm picking movies, uh, and, and I've got some real winners later this season, too. <laughs> 
<laughs> that are that legitimate contenders for being maybe worse than this. And I don't, but not really, not really. It makes for good conversation and it makes me die a little inside every time I watch these types of films. Yeah. Oh, you're losing years this season, Chad. I got to say that this is the only time we're going to be talking about Uwe Boll. I don't want to wallow in just him as a shitty filmmaker. I think maybe this is best summed up by saying he made a lot of these movies. None of them are very good. This is among the worst of them, although there is an argument to be made for Alone in the Dark being even mm-hmm. worse than this, and we are not going yes. to talk about that movie. We are no, we are not. done with Uwe Boll. We've got it out of our system. On to other shitty filmmakers. Speaking of on to shitty films, coming up in episode three, we are going to be examining a motion picture based on a video game that is probably most notably known for being played on mobile phones. Uh, specifically, we are talking about... Hentai mix and match games. What? No, no, no. It's not hentai mix and match. What we are talking about is the wildly popular mobile app game of Angry Birds. <laughs> we will finally get to the bottom of all their anger. That is what I'm most curious. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm excited because finally I will get the answer to that question of what are they so fucking angry about? You're not going to find out. Oh. I think what you're going to find out is, why are you so angry? You know me, Chad. It's because I'm spending so much time watching all this awful, awful garbage in hopes of cracking a few snarky remarks and making me chuckle. Yeah, it really makes you wonder. Like, you watch enough of these, you know, it's that been down so long it looks like up to me, where you're like, are these movies kind of good? No, right? No. But maybe? So come back next week. Uh, We will be reviewing (laughs) Angry Birds as this incredibly painful video game inspired season continues. Um, As always, like, rate, review. Send us a line. uh, Pick6movies at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think. Uh, If you have a proposal for a season, let us know. We are not so arrogant that we won't take your suggestions, but we are so conceited that we will probably ignore them. But we will certainly enter but any final thoughts on house of the dead it's rotten to the core uh i'm glad that we talked about it and uh, i'm glad that we never have to talk about it again and i never have to watch it again although i own a copy of it which i feel like in some way is is being part of the problem yeah you you seriously have a problem but on the flip side i have a flask now we both do we can be flask buddies all right come back next week we will be talking about angry birds and uh many more exciting video game inspired movies to come over the next uh four weeks thanks everybody thanks everybody